Hood Squad. We are conducting an audience survey so we can get to know you better. And we'd be really grateful if you could take just a few minutes to fill it out. Please visit survey.prx.org slash chutzpod, C-H-U-T-Z pod, to take the survey today. That's survey.prx.org slash chutzpod. Thank you. We really want to hear from you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chutzpad, Real Life Lived Better, where every week we answer a listener question using Jewish tradition and also just sort of what we understand about the world around us. I am Rabbi Shira Stutman. I'm Hannah Rosen. So, Hannah. Yeah. You are newer to the Chutzpad Mishpacha, the Chutzpad family. Mm -hmm. Tell me about how many kids do you have? Too many. (laughs) Really? Do you really believe that you have too many? Because that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. That's funny. That's my automatic response because I feel like two is the regular socially acceptable number of children (laughs) in my social class. And I have that plus one more. So there, there is a little bit of like shyness, like you have to explain yourself about what's up with that? Like, what are you, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to be like a settler? Like what, what is with the extra kid, you know? (laughs) By the way, so listeners, just so you know, both Hana and I have three children. And what's so interesting is I too have a response Mm -hmm. when people ask me how many I have. And what I say is, well, I still only want two children, but I have three and I no longer know which one I would give up. Oh my God, that's um, such actually, a weird response that like immediately takes them into your it's family dark, mission. Actually, oh like you're re- like we're in like child murder within the first, which somebody's just trying to have like a like a like a party small talk with you. <laughs> Maybe this is why I have no friends. <laughs> why do you feel the need to let people know that you'd be willing to? <laughs> you know, to off one, like, because it feels extravagant, like, seriously, well, what's the drive there? I think that like it goes back to like a little bit of the shame that I carry, that I somehow sort of broke the contract of, as you said, people in our class, in our small corner of the culture, that like what you have is two kids, and then you stop. Because in that way, you're not adding to overpopulation. In that way, you are sort of you can give more money away, perhaps, instead of spending it on your family. There's like a selfishness in a way as to having biological children that I am a little embarrassed of. That's really true. Um, I had never thought of it. It's a, it's a shame about joy. It's a little hubris. Like, oh, you think your genes or your family are so great that you have to populate and populate. There is a little bit of that. Yeah, I think of that. You know, one of my best friends has two adopted kids. And she thinks adoption is the best thing that ever happened to her family system Mm -hmm. because she says, I am able to just release my kids to be 
exactly who they are. Whereas I think that those of you, she calls me a breeder, right? Those of you who's, who are breeders, there is always going to be a way that your ego is tied up in your kid's ego and that there's something about you that is involved in sort of raising these kids in the world. And I actually really appreciate that. And ever since she said it to me, I've tried to remove even more of my ego from my children's way of being in the world, but it is, it's quite hard. And so there is something like biological about it yeah. that feels kind of um, nasty. Yeah. Your friend's comment, I think I would classify under the category of smug, but true. Oh, totally smug, but true. Yeah. <laughs> but what you say is true that some of it is also just feminist defensiveness. Like, please don't think of me as one of those women who's obsessed with my children. Like I have an important job too, or something that if you have three children, it means that you're very into your identity as a mother. And there's something anti-feminist about that. That's another strain of this that we hadn't talked about. Okay. Our question today comes to us from Corinne. She writes, my husband and I are wrestling with the decision of whether to have a third child. Hmm, apt. Our two children give us so much joy, and we love the idea of adding a third person to our family. But also, we're so happy and grateful for our family of four that if we end up not having a third child, we will still feel complete. Okay, what are your first thoughts, Rabbi? Actually, it's that last word of your sentence is my first thought. Like, why... Is she writing to a rabbi with this question? Like, what is it? She could have written to Slate or she could have written to, I don't know, whoever else, right? Why me? Why us? That's a good question because I think there's a chatter level of kids, not kids. Oh, I'm so annoyed with my kids, like the kinds of things that moms do and which we just did for a few minutes. But then there is a deeper <laughs> level existential layer of questions about Jewish identity and, you know, carrying forth and death and existence and a whole bunch of other things. And so maybe we'll start with Torah. What do we know? How does the Torah speak in any yeah. way to the decision to be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. So be fruitful and multiply, right? Which even a Hannah Rosen, like every, a Jew in the pew knows that line. It's mm -hmm. the very first chapter of Genesis. And actually, as an aside, what it actually says in Genesis chapter one, verse 20 something ish is God created the human being in God's image, male and female, God created them. So this is the first human being, which was not on a binary and was actually all genders in one package. But anyway, as an aside, God says to this Adam, this first human, be fruitful and multiply, prue or revu, fill the earth and master it, which also can be translated as fill the earth and conquer it which is fascinating as part of this conversation. But the very first mitzvah, the very first commandment is to be fruitful and multiply. And the rabbis spend a lot of time figuring out what this means. Which is interesting because it seems completely obvious what it means. Like, what were they spending time on? It means have a lot of babies. Right. Well, I mean, welcome to the rabbinic imagination, right? But, but it also is complicated, right? Like, how many kids is fulfilling the commandment? Is it as many as God gives you? What happens if you physically cannot have kids? 
what happens if you are a single person who's not having sex with anyone? Like they are all, this is like the rabbinic endeavor is trying to figure out out as many answers to these questions so that we can fulfill the mitzvah to the best of our ability. Mm -hmm. And they do come up with answers. Okay, so can you, I'm actually just curious, how empathetic are the rabbis? Is the imperative just as many Jews having as many babies as possible? It's not about ha having as many babies as possible. The answer that's given is one boy, one girl, done. Box checked. Oh, um, I knew I should have stopped. <laughs> <laughs> I had one boy and one girl. Well, yeah. <laughs> No, but you're like, but there's a concept of hidor mitzvah, which is like elevating the mitzvah. And this is true, right? It's like to fulfill the most basic precepts of the mitzvah, boy and girl, but no one is against having more than two and keeping on going as long as God will give you that power. Interesting. So, so it's, so you fulfilled the mitzvah. So you're now like a like a B student. But if you but extra credit is if you keep having babies. And does the extra credit accumulate? Extra credit does not accumulate, but I wouldn't even say B student. I would say you're an A student, but like we are Jews, uh, we want an A plus. Okay, I see. I see. Um, so we just keep having an extra kid. So okay, so now bringing it back to Corinne, we're in the yes, you should have another kid. Um a question. Do those kids have to be Jewish? Ah, this is a Fascinating question. So, no. Wow. The, I, you know, the commandment of being fruitful and multiply is not just about Jews. In the rabbinic imagination, it's actually humanity that is required to be fruitful and multiply, which only complicates Corinne's question because all of these laws were written in a time where there were, I don't know, a few million people on the earth. And the rabbis couldn't have imagined a time when there would be 8.5 billion people on the earth and we would be using up all of its resources. So, okay, the earth's resources. What's so interesting to me about this conversation is from the very first sentence, be fruitful and multiply and master the earth, lo these years later is an absolute contradiction. Like now we understand yeah. those two sentences in succession to make no sense. That being fruitful and multiply is actually destroying the earth. You know, kids are probably the number one drain on resources. So does the Torah speak to that contradiction? Because I know a lot of people can't, like that's, I'm saying that as if it's theoretical because it's too late for me. And unlike you, I'm not actually going to kill off my children. But for people younger than me, it's a very real debate, which actually in a very concrete way affects their very real decisions about having children, families and all that much, much more so than it did in, among my friends when I was having children. So I want to just say two things. First of all, Caleb, Mayan, Natalia. I love you very much, and I'm not giving any of you up. <laughs> yeah. But second of all, actually, you just what you said actually helps me understand why Corinne would write to a rabbi. I have sat with probably a half dozen people at this point in my career who have made the difficult decision not to have biological kids because of climate change. And that is not something that the biblical author could have imagined. But actually, Hannah... It is for moments like this that Judaism was created. Oh. Because remember, we are not a people who takes the Bible literally. We are a people who takes the Bible as a foundation and then crafts a way of being in this world around it. 
And so I can give you a few different answers to this question. One is the sort of magical answer, which is that even the ancient rabbis from 2000 years ago knew that we shouldn't be having as many babies as possible. And that's why they said one boy, one girl, box checked. Another answer is this is why Jewish law needs to continue to evolve. We live in a moment with birth control, the way there wasn't birth control a few thousand years ago. We live in a moment of environmental degradation and catastrophe, which wasn't true a few thousand years ago. Like our moment is different and therefore the law needs to change. And Judaism has the breathability to be able to do that. One small example is that fill the earth and master it and or conquer it used to be understood as having domination, as dominating the earth. And now with climate change, we are revaluing that term to have it be understood more as care for it. We are in charge. Look what we've done as in charge. And so it's not like we're not going to be able to continue desecrating the earth. We are. But therefore, what kind of leader do we want to have? What kind of curator do we want to be of this world? Interesting. Okay. Well, let's get back to Corinne because... If I were her listening to this conversation, it would have been a roller coaster. We would have gone from yes <laughs> to no. <laughs> so I feel clearly the answer is it depends. So let's say Corinne was right in front of you, sitting in front of you and saying, should I have a third child, Rabbi? You know, Hannah, as you're asking that question, I am thinking to myself, which shira does Corinne have in front of her? Does she have the shira that grew up in the shadow of the Holocaust? for whom every day was Holocaust Memorial Day. Little Shira heard the word camp, and she didn't think summer camp. You know, she heard the word shower, and she didn't think bathroom, right? That Shira would say, you better have as many effing kids as you can. We need to replenish the world. We need to fill it with as many Jews as possible. Of course, thinking of this in the shadow of the war in Israel and all the babies that were killed in Israel, I feel that like with every iota of one part of my body. <laughs> If you get the Shira that is concerned about sort of the world as it is in this moment, that might be a Shira who encourages adoption or fostering or other ways of building a family. The first thing I would do is find out more about Corinne, right? Find out about her marriage. I would find out about what kind of support she has in the world, right? Does she have family around? I would find out if she likes being a mother. Like, I would just find out as much because the truth is, as a rabbi... I would give her halachic answers if she asked for them, but I see as the majority of my role in this moment is to help elicit from her something she may already know. Right, right. Okay, that was beautiful. So I'll keep reading what she wrote. I'm nearly 40, and having a third child would be difficult on my physical, emotional, and mental health. What if we try for a period of time and we aren't successful? Would all of that pain and anxiety be worth it? There are many pros and cons to consider. How can I emotionally prepare for potentially really sad outcomes? How can I find validation for my choice either way? How can I be okay with making a choice and having it fail? So the details you know are age and that there is some anxiety, fear, worries about this. Wow. So, you know, as I'm listening to you, Hannah, what I'm noticing is that a lot of these questions are about trying and failing. Mm-hmm. Right. So even from these questions, granted, knowing nothing more, mm -hmm. right, my gut is she should try. Because if the real fear is about the failure, that's a different conversation. Because what you hear in this is that the only reason she's not trying is because she's worried she, was, she would fail, but that actually she truly wants to do it. 
what I'm reading into that is that she, they want to try to have a kid and they're worried about the sadness of failing. And that, I mean, the sadness of trying and failing to have a child, whether it's your first or your third, is that's a real sadness, but it's not worth not trying, right? That's a different kind of Jewish answer. That's really interesting. So you read, I read a letter like this and I think, oh, they're just ambivalent. But you read a letter like this and say the fact that they are so worried about failing and not succeeding means that this is extremely meaningful to them. Like they understand the weight and pain of this not happening. This is so Jewish. There is some deeper reason why if the failure would be so profound to them, that means there is probably some deeper reason why they want a third child. Right. Interesting. Because really, another thing I thought of is her physical and mental and emotional health. If all those things were at stake, you could just say, no, I have two kids. That's fine. Like, why do I want to go through this again? But the fact that she's willing to overcome those things to have a third child must speak to her desire to have another child. As I'm listening to you speak, maybe at this point I am speaking as a parent of three children who actually loves having three children and kind of wishes I had had a fourth, mm -hmm. right? A lot of that physical, mental, emotional toll was time limited, right? Um, right. It's like the first five years of life, which is quite a long time. But that's speaking about me. I didn't have serious postpartum depression, right? I had a family system that was able to help take care of my children, right? So I don't know if she has those things. And so maybe I, if actually, if I decenter myself, I don't know. I wouldn't be as uh, effusive about having the kid. I think your experience is relevant in this case. So it sounds like we should just call Corinne and tell her that you're a thumbs up. I will tell her that I'm a thumbs 85% of the way up. Okay, well, let's let her know that. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. One of the roles that Torah plays right now is in giving people a mirror to what they're feeling, what they're experiencing, and maybe even a window <laughs> yeah. to where they want to go. I'm Alana Steinheim, Rosh Beit Midrash and Senior Fellow at the Shalom Hartman Institute. I'm excited to share that I am the host of Texting, a new podcast where ancient wisdom meets contemporary relevance from Hartman's award-winning digital team. On each show, Hartman scholars Christine Hayes, Yona Hain, or Leo Robotnitsky will join me to delve into a Torah text that offers insight and inspiration about the issues that matter to you and to our community. I got the feeling from the various explanations that the rabbis gave that God also feels broken. You can listen to texting at shalomhartman.org forward slash texting or wherever you get your podcasts. I look forward to learning with you. We're back on Chutzpah. Today's letter comes from Corinne. Hannah, let's bring her on. Corinne, welcome. It's so nice to have you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Hi, Corinne. Hi. Okay. Thank you so much for sending us your question. It prompted a very interesting discussion. We both have three children. So that's where we started. Amazing. With Jewish law, talking through the very obvious things, which are in contradiction with each other. The first one is be fruitful and multiply, just that as a mitzvah in general. And then the counteract 
to that. And then the, the tension of that with taking care of the earth. You know, those two things are early on in the Torah and they're, they're in contradiction and in tension with each other. And then as time went on, got kind of closer to life and closer to you and closer to the actual words in your actual letter. And Shira was reading a subtext in your letter. Shira, can you say what that was? So first, I did sort of like a Talmudic reading of your letter. And what I realized is that your letter um, closed with these five questions that you had that were alive for you. And four of them were about what would happen if you tried and then failed to conceive. And so I just inferred from that that in your core, what you really wanted was to try again. And that one bad thing that could happen is that you wouldn't be able to conceive and that would be incredibly sad. But I didn't want to let your fear of that deep sadness keep you from trying to bring another life into the world. Yeah, it was very Jewish how Shira read it. It was almost like the the depth of your sadness can, <laughs> was linked to the importance and profundity of your desire for this. So that's where we ended up. I mean, that's really helpful. That's really incredible to see like it's so clear here. If you're so worried about this in so many ways, then obviously that's because the thing that you want is the opposite of that thing that you're so worried about. So how does that land with you? I mean, I, that's of course what I've been thinking. <laughs> it's almost like I, I've been looking for like permission because it is so scary and it might not work and it's not great for the environment or for the population. And like, there are all these reasons not to do it. And so it's almost like I've just really been looking for someone to say, no, it's, oh, it's okay for you to give that a try. It's funny. That's where we started the conversation because we both have three children about all these years later carrying a kind of guilt or feminist reluctance or just a lot of different feelings. Like even today, when someone asks you how many kids you have, you feel almost embarrassed of your own attachment to those three kids or of your desire for those three kids. That lingers. Clearly. Right. Like it's so. excessive. Almost. You did an excessive thing. Yeah. I also like, I think part of the fear is that I can't handle it like that I can't do it. It's, you know, it's a, it's very different from two to three. I mean, I don't know. It seems like from two to three is a really big jump and our kids are still little. They're five and three. I'm not sure I can do it. <laughs> right. And it really, it really is hard. Right. And I guess like what I want to say to you rabbinically is if you believe that you can do it, then you can do it especially if you allow community to surround you and carry you through the most difficult moments. And that second part is not inconsequential in Jewish, the Jewish mindset. It actually is a deep part of what it means to believe that you can achieve something incredibly difficult. I had not thought about the community aspect of that. And that's actually really helpful and important because the decision feels very personal and like not one that you consult the community about. And then you don't even really tell people when you're pregnant for a long time because you're not supposed to. And so it doesn't feel like it's a community thing, but you're right. I mean, and I think we experienced this with the pandemic when we had our second kid in the middle of the pandemic before anyone had vaccines or anything, we were incredibly isolated and alone. And it did oftentimes feel like this is too hard and I'm not sure we're going to make it, but it doesn't have to be like that. You know, if I were to ask my mom, she would say, oh, yes, of course, more grandkids. Please do it. Try forever. If I were to ask my girlfriends, you know, they would say, whatever you want, we support you. 
I want someone to, <laughs> I want someone who can say this is the impact you know for your life this is the community that's involved here's what god would say like a bigger broader perspective and one that's not rooted in my feelings but more like what could this mean this is a lifelong decision this is not like should i get a haircut this is like should i try to change the entire course of everything that happens in my life after this it's big and one of the things we talked about also in terms of community is what it means to grow the jewish people and that feels very tribal and not entirely uncomplicated, but it also feels very deeply true to me as a, someone who cares deeply about the Jewish future, just to grow the Jewish extended family. Yeah. Oh, Corinne, thank you so much for writing in and for being vulnerable with us and allowing us to sort of, I hope not make light of your vulnerability, but actually sort of talk about it in a way that God willing will help not just your family, but other people as well. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, I feel like if you do have the baby, we have to bring the baby on the show. Okay. Just like a little squeak. <laughs> Just a little squeak. Okay. That's it for another episode of Hoodspot, everyone. But before we go, we want to update you on last week's episode. V made the decision, Rabbi Shira, not, not to apply to rabbinical school. They said they're feeling good about that decision, and instead they're going to work on becoming a B'nai Bitzvah as an adult. I'm really happy for them. That's not an easy decision. Yeah, agree. So, Hood Squad, don't forget to keep sending us your questions and dilemmas either on our website, hoodspot.com, or just email us directly, hoodspot at gmail.com. Also, of course, let us know what you think about the show by rating, reviewing, subscribing, wherever you get your podcasts. It really is one of the best ways to support our show. I want to thank associate producer Heather Marie Vitali. This episode was produced by Robin Lynn. Thank you also to PRX for distributing our podcast. I'm Rabbi Shira Stutman. And I'm Hannah Rosen, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>